Hosting provided by Host Tornado. They offer website hosting packages, dedicated servers, and VPS solutions. HostT.net. Programming Throwdown, episode 44, Logo Scratch Lego. Take it away, Patrick. I need to have an answer to how many monitors should I have at work? How many um, monitors does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop? A programming uh, problem? <laughs> so I feel like I need more. Right now I have, or maybe I need bigger monitors. Oh, maybe that's the difference, the size of the monitor or the number of the monitors. Ah, well, so what do you have right now? So right now I have two 24-inch monitors. Two tw- okay. And like side by side, and I have them on like adjustable arms, and I have them both in landscape mode. Um, in la- okay, right. And so that's pretty good because the way I have it set up is like, um, so I, I run uh, Ubuntu, so I have like, the virtual desktop side by side, I only use two. And on the mm-hmm. first one, I have like email and like docs and stuff, you know, kind of on two windows. So I can have my email up all the time yep. when I'm on that window or whatever. And the second one, I typically have like a browser in one window, documentation, console, command line, and then the other one, my IDE. Um, so you so, do this. So the second monitor is like a split screen, and the first one's just email or something like that. So well, so like on my second virtual environment, yeah, the first one, the left side is like Eclipse, and then the second one is like my command line or like documentation in the browser or whatever. Gotcha. gotcha. So I have two, but then yeah, like you pointed out, now I don't have space for my email, <laughs> and so maybe that's good because I I don't look at my email, but I feel like I need four monitors. Like I feel like I need two more up above for like. You know, really? so I can have like my console in one, my uh, web browser that's like doing documentation, the other, and my email in the fourth. So I feel like, I, but maybe I could just get a bigger one. Like some people have the 30 inch monitors at work. Yeah, right. And, but then I feel like it's too, like it's the tall is wasted. Like I don't need really that height. See, I feel like this is one of those like thing that sort of bifurcates people. Like, you know, like some people are zero inbox people. Some people have like 40,000 unread messages, right? That would be me. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually zero inbox person. So some people are like, like you know, it's like some people like Skittles, some people like m ms I don't know, whatever. But this is one of those things, like I only have one monitor and everybody kind of like, that gives me a hard time, but like every now and then someone says, hey, why don't you get a second monitor? Or, hey, you know, you have your laptop screen, you're, you just have a picture of your family on it. And I just, for some reason, I cannot adopt more than one screen into my workflow. Even like those virtual screens. I've started to get into the virtual screens where like on the MacBook Pro, you can um, use three fingers and swipe. If you do the three finger swipe, then you go to other virtual screens. And I've started doing like my, you know, music, like I'll have Twitch streaming, streaming music on one virtual screen. But even that, it's like, I did it for a week and now I'm out of it again. Yeah. Uh, so is your, you have a big monitor or just a normal monitor? I have a, it's a big monitor. It's probably like a 30 inch. It's one of these Thunderbolt displays. Uh, so it's like a 4K or 5K or something. Something like that. Uh, it's a okay. Pretty I think that monitor. makes a difference too. I don't have any high resolution ones. So. Oh, I see. Yeah. yeah I just, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I had two monitors at my last job and, uh, I only ended up using one. The other one was just always. So just the, the thing I, I think might solve my problem, but I can never get into it, is the getting an, like an alternative window manager. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people use like um, various like a Haskell. What's the Haskell based one? I always forget. Uh, uh, why, is, why is it slipping my mind? Anyways, they, the the tiling window managers where you you know push buttons and you flip flip uh, your consoles up to corner, your ID over to the left, and you know it kind of like resizes them automatically. Yeah, right, right. Based on their positioning. And whenever they show me, it's like, wow, that's really cool. And then I try to use their computer. I'm like, uh, you know, like helping them with something. Like, I can't make it do anything. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, it's like, when if you only ever use one computer, I guess it's good. But for me, the context switching is so hard. I also, same reason, I don't have a lot of aliases in my bash script. So I have like very minimal aliases. Because when I sit down at someone else's computer and I start, and it's like, ah, oh, it's not working. Oh, yeah, like, definitely. Oh, because, and then I don't know what the command is because I don't type it. 
Do you use? Have you? Did you switch over to the Oh My ZSH after we did that show? So I I did for my. So actually, you had Baboon. Was it the same show or a different show? Oh yeah, yeah. The same so show, I use I that think. on a Windows computer now, and okay. uh, so yeah, I have it on there, and I like it. Except that occasionally it has problems because I get auto updates, and then like it did like a bad update once, and it took me like an hour just to oh, get back no. to what I needed, and it's like stuff like that just kills me. Yeah, yeah. But the Oh My ZSH, I love the tap completion. Like I found out the other day, it would actually, if you're typing a switch, like a like a command line argument to a function, uh-huh. um, it actually has tap completion there. So when you hit tab, it runs the command with dash dash help. It pulls out all of the switches uh. and then it tries to complete. It's like super awesome. That's pretty cool. So so I figured so I saw the people who do stock trading and then I think they have the answer to how many monitors. <laughs> oh they yeah, have like, like the uh three by three. <laughs> yeah, right. Or whatever. So they have like, you know, three rows and it looks like, you know, almost like a surround screen. But then I guess you just would go to like a VR, like Oculus Rift with like total like immersion in like a sphere of monitor or something. There's some guy with the Oculus Rift right now who's just banking in the stock market. I mean he's just every trade is just he's pulling the He's pulling the the uh, the one arm bandit, and and getting a you know a huge. He pay, is uh, the high frequency trader. He I feel is like this is a, this is an NBC show coming this fall. <laughs> oh man! Uh, so, uh, anyways, so I, I feel like I need wh- wherever I is always need an additional monitor, but then it's almost not always worth it. Some people have like a big monitor and a small monitor, and that's just jarring to me. Oh yeah, I can't, I can't deal it. with that. Or some people have the monitor for reading. Like the monitor the, for reading for the research portrait. papers. Yeah, yeah that's so a portrait, portrait and then one, yeah. I don't know why, uh, but that I, I think I have like sort of like a OCD when it comes to symmetry on monitors, but I just cannot, I can't even look at or that. Or the people have mismatched <laughs> the same size, but like different brands. And so the bezels are different colors. Oh. Yeah, yeah, I can't deal with that. Oh man. Oh, I was man. that kid growing up though, who if someone like, even if a small corner of the TV screen was blocked by someone's head, I would ask them to move. Like, like can you please move your head a little bit? You're blocking, you know, one one thousandth of the TV screen. So you don't like going to movies, then? Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Although the you know, the movie they do it right, you know, the the projectors. Stadium projecting seating and projecting. Up. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, um, all right. So on cool. to news. The first news. article I have is um, well, I, I didn't look at the guy's name. I think it's Andy Gavin. Um, mm-hmm. Making Crash Bandicoot. So Crash Bandicoot came out for the PlayStation 1 as, I think, one of the launch titles. And um, this guy, uh, Andy Gavin, was at Naughty Dog. Well, I guess it was a very new company at the time. I think they had made one or two games. Mm-hmm. Anyways, and he has a series that I saw linked to off of Reddit or something of like 13 series about writing him and the other guy who were kind of like the head people at Naughty Dog um, making Crash Bandicoot. And how that like people at the time were just... Like, I remember playing Crash Bandicoot. Did you play Crash Bandicoot? I never played it, but I oh, heard about it. Oh, okay. So, like, at the time, I was a little younger, I guess, so I didn't really realize it was the new PlayStation, right? Like, I just thought this was how everything was going to be now. Um, but I guess, like, at the time, it was, like, one of the very first kind of 3D platformers. Mm-hmm. And um, how to do level design, how to get all the textures compressed, and how to... Um, put things in your field of view that blocked like distant objects. So the number of polygons on screen was reduced, all that Uh. kind of stuff he goes into in this blog. And like, you know, it's kind of funny when you read it, he says that, you know, for doing like saving space after they'd already done all the obvious things, like using the lowest two bits of all the pointers to store data, Um, it's like (laughs) the obvious things. And then it's like, Oh, okay. I know. So all the addresses must be four byte aligned. Then you can use the lowest two bits because they're always zero. I, I so. saw, I saw. I think it was a part of this article where they he was saying that they had this Monte Carlo-based approach to compress all of the textures. Yes. And, uh, yeah, they couldn't get it to fit on the CD, so they just ran it over and over again until it finally fit. Yeah, they were trying random permutations of, like, placements of objects, hoping to find one that would pack more elegantly. <laughs> yeah it's unbelievable so i guess like but though when it shipped it was like so far ahead of like what other people were doing with the playstation at the time that it was like a a massive achievement so yeah it's amazing but it's just kind of fun to read those crazy hacks that people did uh you can also read like john carmack writes about them sometimes and i I mean a lot of times they're actually still even useful but you know 
there are things you should never do unless you really absolutely have to, but it's still yeah. kind of fun to read about them. Yeah, I saw this. Um, I did a little bit of work on Ogre, that open source graphics engine. And uh, I was just you know flipping through that code one time a while back and it said, uh, it basically, it had this square root function that was done yeah. using like a division or something oh, like yeah, that. Yeah, convert to float and then using uh, like a two iteration Newton solver. Yeah, this is a famous John Carmack hack. Yeah, yeah, and it had a reference to like some article John Carmack wrote and everything. I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, have, awesome. I have some code that has that hack in it. Oh, nice. <laughs> so, I, it's, not, um, it's not a hack. It's just like a very fast way of doing a square root. Yeah, it's a fast approximation of a square root. Um, yep. Yeah, so Apple will open source Swift. Um, <clears throat> we did a show on Swift. Um, that was back when there was Swift 1.0, now there's Swift 2.0, which uh, is not backwards compatible, but uh, has a lot of extra features and things like that. Um, and Apple open sourced it, which is pretty cool because that sort of, uh, people are wondering if Swift will be the next sort of C-sharp, where C-sharp was kind of like contested territory and Mono came out and at the beginning, Microsoft wasn't really supporting Mono. Now they are, but it's kind of too late. And the whole thing kind of like was very ugly. Um, and so people were wondering sort of what's going to happen with Swift. There's already a, a variety of open source projects that are trying to do various things with Swift. And uh, Apple decided to just open source um, their implementation of Swift, which I believe boils down to like a Swift to LLVM um, com Front um, end. compiler, kind of like Clang. Um, so, but I don't know too much about the details. So that was announced at WWDC, which happened since our last episode. Yep. So lots of Apple news came out. Um, so d now I, I guess also there was recently rulings about the Google versus Oracle API uh, for Java stuff. But I always feel like when someone doesn't open source a language, I guess it's what, what is the name? His name starts with I, the guy who did Mono. Um, Oh, I don't know. Here, uh, I'll look it up. Miguel's I something. Anyways, um, but he did mono and implemented like C sharp, but with like basically a different compiler runtime thing for Linux. And I feel like you know similar to what uh, Android uses with uh, a different a non uh, Sun or Oracle implementation of Java to run on Android. Um, you can almost these languages being open source can be vague in what they mean. I almost feel like people have the opportunity to implement them, but now it seems like maybe that's not always gonna be so legal. So it's good to hear that Apple's gonna open source it. So people who want to be able to write a version of the front end for other systems uh, will have the ability to do so. Yep, the guy's name is Miguel de Icaza. Yeah, okay. And uh, he also co-founded Gnome, which is pretty awesome. Um, uh, he worked at Novell, which is pretty cool. Um, well, good. I'm glad I wasn't completely off because I had like his name. I could see it in my head. And then I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say IG something, but I see Akaza. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. All right. So, so yeah. So I don't know. Is it legal though? Or maybe it, it changed now. It's like if someone has a language that doesn't have an open source in any way, can you use the, uh, the like, grammar of the you, language? Like, is the yeah. grammar copyrighted? Um, well, that's, that's what that or? lawsuit is about, right? It's, it's, is the, well, specifically, well, that's specifically the about, APIs of the standard library or something. Yeah, right. right. So, yeah, I mean, you know, that's going right, We're not lawyers. Forth. I don't know. Actually, well, the last I heard about that lawsuit, just to report on it again, yeah, we're not taking a stance here or anything, but, but uh, I believe um, Google asked the president to bring it up with the Supreme Court and the president said no. The president's staff said no. And so... Yeah, I think just this week or last week, the Supreme Court basically said they weren't going to hear it. So yeah, it's going. It's just going to stay with the last appeal, which was in favor of uh, or Oracle. Right, right. So I guess, actually, what does that mean just mechanically? Uh, like, does that mean that... Google has to pay Oracle a dollar for every Android phone or something? Or I mean, well, I, I mean, I made so I think that'll dollar, go but. like that'll be decided like in the penalties phase or something. Oh, I see. Um, okay. Now right. I, I'm curious what the implications of the um, actual ruling will be. Yeah, right. I mean, how do you enforce that considering, you know, it's been going on and everything? It seems complicated. 
Yeah, it is. It's pretty wild. Um, so, yeah. we had WWDC. We also had E3. Yes. So, all, all the video gamers out there in podcast land. It was so land. cool. Did you watch any of it? Uh, I watched some of the highlight videos. Okay. So, I watched some about the Oculus Rift. Yeah, that's the only one I saw. I saw somebody playing Minecraft, like, on a table with the Oculus Rift. No, that was with the HoloLens. Oh, sorry, sorry. You're right. You're right. Uh, how can yeah, you yeah. mix those up? Yeah, you're, you're totally right. I'm an idiot. But, yeah, I saw someone <laughs> playing Minecraft, like, on their on some regular coffee table with the HoloLens, and that looked freaking amazing. Uh, so I'm like, they had the Oculus Rift was there, too, and they have some cool motion controllers, um, mm-hmm. which people always say it's kind of awkward. Like, a lot of the stuff now, you still use your keyboard, and so it's kind of uh, not the most natural, but they're coming out with some controllers and i kind of want to try an oculus rift i've just never had the opportunity to try one yet but Mm -hmm. i feel like i wouldn't be something i would be super into but but i want to try it i think it would be cool and yeah uh, i you know what got me into it like i saw a ton of videos on oculus i saw i followed it since the kickstarter but it always seemed like you said like something i wouldn't um be interested in and then i saw somebody recreated um the first legend of zelda using the oculus and so it's, re- by recreated, I mean, it uses the exact same artwork and everything like that. And the level layout is the same and the missions are all the same, but it's first person using Oculus. And it looked pretty wild. I mean, someone, you know, kind of goes around a pillar and a skeleton's there and it's just like, it's very jarring. It took a very benign game and made it like extremely terrifying. Oh man. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, now that it's getting, what would that be, first-party support, third-party support, whatever. Now that it's getting, like, you know, uh, a lot of games are going to start using it mm-hmm. um, or have it as an option, I guess maybe it'll be make more sense in my head. But it has, like, a lot of tech demos is yep. what it seemed like to me. Like, a lot of short little games people are putting out to kind of test out the technology, but it's not quite there yet. So I'm really interested in it, but I think I'm more interested in, like, the version 2 of all these headsets. Yeah, right. So um, someone made Oculus run uh, Minecraft, um, oh. which I guess is the same as HoloLens, but but uh, but that was a while ago, like a year or two ago. It was pretty cool. But I guess then now it'll solve this problem that uh, the Wii U tried to solve with the tablet for per person or whatever, or using other game controllers. Uh, so if everyone's wearing an Oculus Rift, you can play like Madden, and no one can see what plays you're picking or like. <laughs> oh yeah, true. So you all sit on the couch playing games together, not being able to see each other. <laughs> that's what all the teenagers hip teenagers will do okay so also i saw the video which i don't know if you've seen the actual gameplay video for star wars battlefront and i'm it not a big cool. online gamer like I, mm-hmm. I mostly just play by myself because i'm not friends i know it's sad well um, for i mean anyone who has kids pretty much needs a pause button otherwise it's the game okay fair point usable. i was being self-deprecating but yes. <laughs> um but the star wars battlefront looks really really cool so i'm yep. getting very excited about the new star wars movies and i feel like i shouldn't but i am Oh, um, really? Okay, I wouldn't go that... F- now. Okay, now you're self-deprecating. <laughs> wait, wait, what? Well, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay, anyways. Um, I just like the last one... Anyways, I, you know, I was... Again, I was a little younger than some people. Well, that's redundant. Anyways, when the uh, second set of Star Wars movies came out. So, like Jar Jar Binks, when I went to see the movie, I was still of an age where it wasn't so appalling to me. And uh, so I yeah, ha- actually have fond that- memories of even the second set of movies. I remember, I mean, I actually don't remember much about the second set of movies, which is kind of a shame, but I do remember there was that one part in the first one where uh, they were using some kind of submarine and a giant fish starts chasing them and then an even bigger fish eats that fish. That was pretty cool. But yeah, for some reason, uh, not to jump on the bandwagon here, but the second trilogy just didn't resonate at all with me. I didn't think they were bad, but I remember absolutely nothing. But the first trilogy I remember very vividly. Hmm. So also Fallout 4. Yep. Uh, people seem to be really excited about this at work. Like everyone wants to talk about this. But I'm like one of the few people who I couldn't really get into Fallout 3. I tried and it was just maybe it's because of kids or whatever. Like I just couldn't get into it. And like it did just you didn't play stick melee me. or did you use a gun? I don't even think I made it far enough. I made it like <laughs> two or three hours in and like it just... Like too much reading of text and, uh, or or I guess there's not text, but um, but dialogue. The dialogue, yeah, yeah. just uh, anyway. See, I, I played it the first time and I I, I had a pistol and I kind of did what I think is the you know a normal person would do who knows nothing about the game, just kind of going through it, and it was kind of boring. 
<clears throat> and then uh, I got, like, I learned about VATS, where you kind of go into this. Did you get that far to where you had VATS? No. Okay, so VATS is basically, it turns the game into kind of like a turn-based game, kind of. It's kind of weird. Basically, it freezes time, and then you get, like, a couple of bonus attacks. Kind of think of it that way. And they're sort of, whether they hit or not isn't based on your FPS skills, but it's based on just, like, some calculations based on your stats and things like that. And uh, so I got the Bloody Mess perk, which makes every time you kill someone, they just get, like, horrifically mangled. And then I used a sledgehammer, and I used this VATS thing, and it was just so fun. The game went from, like, just okay to extremely fun, just knocking people's heads off with the hammer. Maybe I'll bust out my Fallout 3 and try again, because people seem to, like, at work they were saying how many times they've played it through and get, like, all the achievements, and yeah. Yeah, definitely go Melee. It's it's pretty fun. Okay, I'll, maybe yeah. I'll give it another go. But then the yeah. other thing I'm really excited for is Final Fantasy VII coming out on iOS. Yeah, has been said that's coming out this year, and I, I mean, I remember playing through Final Fantasy VII, uh, and like I got pretty far before my brother like pulled the save card out while I was saving or something, and like corrupted oh, no. my game. I was like, oh. I don't remember. I think there was three or four discs, and I was like on disc three or two or three. Yeah, and uh, and then I just I was so like disheartened I didn't play it anymore. Oh man, that happened to me on some games, um, but yeah, that that feeling it kind of like, and then it gives you sort of like a vengeance. You know, like now it's like you have to get a redemption for that event. Well, and this is your chance. Uh, anyways, so I, uh, but I will, I'm excited to play it on iOS. So. Yeah, super cool. And I, I think they're going to bo- uh, bump up the graphics and things like that. So, I, yeah, I, I don't even, like, I guess I don't even care. Maybe if I saw it, I'd be like, oh, wow, this is actually really bad. But, um, yeah, you'd be surprised. Nostalgia. Um, I just want the nostalgia. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Um, but yeah, it was totally awesome. Did you see the Nintendo uh, like World Championship? No. So um, I didn't know about this, but maybe this happens every year. Maybe it's first year. I don't know. But someone just kind of said, "Hey, hey, tune into this!" Like while it was happening, um, and basically they had this this championship to see who is the best Nintendo player. And so they had a person play just a variety of games or segments of games. And uh, it was based on time and score and things like that. They had narrowed it down to two people. And uh, <clears throat> so that's when they announced that Wii U is coming out with Mario Maker. Okay. Where they took all of the enemies, obstacles, terrain, everything from all of the Mario games and put it all into one um, um, editor. And even some new enemies that never existed put it all into one editor and give you like kind of crazy control to adjust the size of the enemies, things like that. Um, and then not only did they make that announcement, but they also had these two unfortunate people play these ridiculously hard levels that these game designers made with, uh, with Mario Maker. And it was, it was pretty awesome. If you haven't seen it, definitely check okay. it out. I'll have to yeah. go check that out now. Let's pause this while I go do that. <laughs> all right. Boo. Okay. So, uh, yeah, next news story is Chirp distributed file system so um this is pretty cool i I have to look more into it but it does address a serious use case of mine um so you know okay you have a well i i have a laptop at work and i have a desktop (coughs) and i typically want to use the desktop uh when i am there at my desk and the laptop the rest of the time um but you constantly run into problems where oh i wrote some code on my laptop I have to just finish it on my laptop. And so what ended up happening is I ended up just never using the desktop. Um, some, some other people go the other way where they're remote desktop into their desktop. But that always kind of is hokey. Remote desktop is never really 100%. And, uh, you know, it's kind of ugly and things like that. So I started using, um, it turns out you can lock down BitTorrent Sync. So you can set it up to where only if you're in the same, like, class D network, Will you do the sync? Um, so I locked down the BitTorrent sync and I got it running on both machines. And I can literally just build something on my laptop, you know, go to my desktop and it's done. Or do a code change on my desktop, etc. Um, and it's cool, but, you know, it's not really designed for that. There is latency and things like that. So this sounds like it's even better where you have some distributed file system and uh, um, you could just you could just work off of that kind of like a NFS kind of thing. So I don't know too much about it, 
But uh, wait, so did you say the name? This is the Chirp distributed file system. Yeah, it's called Chirp, and uh, I'll look more into it and report back. But uh, it looks pretty cool. All right, time for book of the show. Book of the show. So this is kind of a cop out, but a ton of people have been asking, recommending that I read this. In fact, I'm going to uh, read it with a buddy at work. Um, we're going to kind of do a book club or whatever. But well, uh, I've never done a book club before. Really? Yeah. I've never done one either. This will be the first time. I've done plenty of research paper uh, reading reading clubs or whatever they're called. Reading groups. I've done plenty of reading groups uh, where we pick a research paper every week and go over it. But I've nope, never, never done, done, done that either. Now. Um, anyways, this book is called Godel Escher Bach. It's uh, it's super famous among like computer scientists, linguists, things like that. <coughs> but basically, uh, I'm not going to do it justice because I haven't read it yet. But um, it's basically about language and about formal um, automata and formal systems. And expl- it tries to, it kind of like plays games with language, and it has a lot of puzzles in it. Uh, but it's not a it's not a puzzle book. It's not like this is you know puzzle number three. It's it's written as a novel, but um, it has an incredible amount of information, and uh, it's just a fascinating read. So I've I've heard a lot of good things about it, um, and uh, yeah, I hope to report back next show on how awesome this book is. All right, yeah, I I feel like I've picked this book up before a couple times and then never made it through. <laughs> did you? How far did you get? I don't know. I'm trying uh, okay. to remember now. I'm looking like I'm trying to read this like table of contents, but I've read books like the you know, people in the book or whatever, Godel and others, like, have been covered in other books I've read. So I don't know if I'm mixing up. Like, I've read several books about kind of the same same topics or whatever. What is it called? Like, popular math or novel uh, novelized math? Yeah, a, like... Um, this is like a format is called something. And I've like read David several... David Deutsch has that book. Um, and then uh, Simon Singh also yeah, has, right. has books like this. And so I've read several of those. So I don't know... If maybe I'm mixing it up with one of those. So I'm looking, trying to look up what David Deutsch's book is. Um, but, but yeah, the, uh, oh yeah, The Fabric of Reality, David Deutsch. That's another good book if you're, if you like reading about popular math. But just, just uh, to finish up, so Godel is a mathematician. Escher is a person who's famous for writing these, uh, or for, for drawing these, uh, you know, um, these pencil diagrams, pencil drawings that defy logic. So there'll be, you know, um, there'll be like a waterfall that falls like in a loop. And there's just like, yeah, you've probably seen them. Very you awkward. just might not know that's what they're called. Yeah, right. And then Bach is, is of course, a musician. And so, uh, so I guess my, my understanding, my vague understanding of this book is that it tries to link all of these things together under umbrella of formal systems and yeah it should be pretty cool interesting so how do you say his name i always think i said the first guy's name is godel is that not right uh i will look it up okay i'm pretty sure it's godel okay you might be right i say a lot of things wrong because a lot of things i read growing up like i just get books from the library and read them because i was a nerd and um am a nerd and so i never heard them and then uh yeah i was having this conversation with someone the other day about how i used to say line- oh we were having it on the podcast i think about linux instead of linux yeah so okay it's, it's goodell so i went on wikipedia and i clicked listen and it said goodell kurt goodell 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 all right yeah well go on to wikipedia and listen to the pronunciation <laughs> right yeah i mean that's me trying to sound like a german so there you go my book is leviathan wakes which is a science fiction by the oh, it's, what do you call it? a pseudonym Yes, pseudonymous yeah, or James S.A. Yeah. Corey, which I believe is actually a pseudonym for two authors. Uh-huh. And um, they wrote a book. this book. Uh, I found it to be pretty good. Um, it wasn't as good as some of the other science fiction books I wrote, but I, you know, I definitely I would give it a strong recommendation, but not a, you must read this, like stop whatever else you're reading and read it. Um, <laughs> okay. It, it, was, it was interesting and it was, it was an... So it's considered hard science fiction, but I didn't find it to be that. Uh, Wait, what does that mean? So I, actually, I was looking this up the other day. <laughs> what hard science? What defines hard science fiction? And mm-hmm. I couldn't come up with a good definition. But I think it's just science fiction with an emphasis, like on things that are like physics, math, 
Um, it doesn't necessarily have to mean that they're true or accurate, but that they just like go into detail about the, um, oh, like interesting. the like world building as opposed to just like a light, you know, pulp fiction kind of thing taking place where gotcha. ridiculous stuff happens and who cares? Like they, they may break the rules, but they try to be consistent with the rules once broken. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, that's Patrick's definition. Uh, All right, now, a we'll lot of them, it. I think, do have a rigorous, like, worlds that they build. And like I said, they suspend disbelief, but then, like, they keep it consistent. So things like uh, ring world, like, ring world is not actually possible because it's this idea that you build a ring around a star and then people would live on the ring. But it mm-hmm. wouldn't be stable because, like, if the ring got bumped, it would kind of just, like, fall into the sun. Um, ah. I think. Anyways, at least that's when I heard a talk by Larry Niven. That's what he said. So he's like, Ringworld is not practical. He had this other thing that was practical, but Ringworld wasn't practical. But oh, I see. Like it, it made an attempt to try to say like, oh, it kind of makes sense that you would build a ring around the sun and everyone would live equidistant from the sun and then it would spin to you know keep gravity and like. Anyways, gotcha. So so it takes something that isn't true but like formalizes it and builds the whole universe around it. And you see sort of what that parallel universe would look like had that thing. Right. So like stuff may try fa- travel faster than light, but then they'll impose some like arbitrary limit so that it's not like completely ridiculous. It's just a little ridiculous. Ah, okay. Uh, anyways. And so Leviathan wakes is, uh, I, I never know what to say without spoiling it. So just check it out and read it. it it's a science fiction book about uh people in space in the kind of i would say more near future so people are kind of in the in the solar system versus going between the stars so and that way it's it's kind of different uh and uh this book is available on audible and if you've not checked out audible audible before you can go to audibletrial.com slash programming throwdown and get a free 30-day trial, which means you get a free book that you get to keep at the end, even if you That's don't right. continue your trial. You can get trial. Leviathan Wakes, or you can get Godel Escher Bach. Oh, did you check? Is it available too? Uh, I made an assumption. <laughs> <laughs> they have like a lot of books. so I'm sure it, Godel uh, Escher Bach is, is there. Uh, Unless it's so hard to explain No, I don't verbally. see it there. So. Um, oh, okay. Never mind then. Yeah. Jason was just uh, psyching you up for something that wasn't there. Uh, <laughs> But they do have like lots and lots and lots of books, so check it out. They probably have at least something you'd be interested in listening to and, and getting for free with this trial. Uh, or check them out on Amazon or anywhere else as well. I'm not supposed to say that, am I? Oh, well. Yeah, it's fine. Um, tool of the show. So my tool of the show is not that useful, but I think it's pretty cool. It's called salato.js. And... Uh, it's a library for cellular automata. So um, for people who don't know, I think we've covered it in the show, but just in case um, you didn't catch that episode, cellular automata just means um, you have some huge grid and you have some rule. Um, the rule can only take into account you know, a cell and its neighborhood, but that rule is tessellated across the entire grid. Um, to make up a single epoch or step. So in other words, <clears throat> um, the most common one is the game of life, where the rule is um, if there's, what is it, like f- uh, five to seven people are in your neighborhood. So think about like a cell and, a, and it's in 2D. And so think about it like your phone, your numeric pad on your phone, and you're the number five. And so you have, you know, eight numbers around you. And, uh, if five to seven of those numbers are are true, so we're thinking of each of these two, numbers. Two, to, two these, to three. Oh, it's two to three. Like if each of these cells is holding like either holding life or not holding life. So if uh, two to three are holding life, then you will, if you're not alive, if that cell has no life in it, it will flip and start having life. Um, if there's more or less, if there's less and there's not enough to reproduce, if there's more then it's saturated and your cell dies, or if, if it was, if there's nothing there, it just stays in nothing. So it's a very simple rule, but because of the way it's tessellated across the whole grid, and then that whole tessellation 
is applied over and over again across time, it creates these really cool looking animations and interesting dynamics that just keep you mesmerized. So that's a stellar automata. So um, what would be cool uh, you know, what would be cooler than being able to watch that on the internet just by going to a website and not having to, you know, download anything? Anything you know, uh, on so. Netflix. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, no, no. I mean, <laughs> nothing would be cooler than that. Nothing. <laughs> nothing. Okay. Wait, Netflix isn't in JavaScript. Oh, but it is on a website. That's true. Um, cell Auto is pretty cool. You can, there's a bunch of different um, cellular automata. And so you can kind of play around with them. There's one that makes caves. They have one that has water that kind of like flows down as if it was. Oh, they do have the game of life. They actually have the game of life, which is pretty cool. They have this one called forest fire. Um, That's pretty cool. Oh, wow. There's one called cyclic, which is some kind of like color cycle. This is fascinating podcasting, listening to Jason. (laughs) (laughs) Click, click through each one and tell us what it's doing. Okay. Why don't you give us a play by play on ESPN de Ocho? Oh, did I tell you, uh, just random side note, um, I saw a Magic the Gathering tournament on ESPN at a sports bar the other day. No. And I thought, wow. What were you doing at a sports bar? This is shocking. Wait, go back. (laughs) I went to a sports bar to watch the Stanley Cup finals, and the people sitting next to me were watching Magic the Gathering on ESPN, I don't know, Infinity. Only in in California and in San Jose Bay Area. Only in Silicon Valley. Yeah. And I mean, they were like really into Wait, it. I mean, at one point they screamed. I didn't know that was actually a thing. It's really on ESPN. It's it was literally on ESPN. I mean, it was like just a highlight. No, it was like literally the entire match was being filmed no. on ESPN, and the announcers were very young. I mean, the announcers were maybe like sixteen or something. It was unbelievable. Um, I learned that as an announcer, they train you not to say anything negative. Because these announcers would occasionally mess up because they were so young. This announcer one time said, um, oh, this one person messed up. But then he went back and corrected himself and said, oh, no, this other person was did this very well to cause the other person to do that. So, like, uh, I learned that that announcers always try to say just positive things. Anyways. I feel like they... they, I don't know. I tried Google searching Magic the Garant ESPN, and it seems like they did it one time, but... I can't find anything saying they were doing it recently. I know they did broad. They do have the tournaments are broadcast and people do watch them and announce them. And it's a big deal, but I'm pretty sure it was, it might've been another station. Maybe it was like MLG or something. Okay. But I could have sworn it was like a right. big, well, you keep anyway. looking for that because I'm completely like, maybe they don't even show chess tournaments anymore. Do they? I've seen them on occasionally, but I've never seen a chess tournament. Yeah. On ESPN. Um, I've seen spelling bee on ESPN. Like Did once, you really? Once, I think. Anyways. All right. <laughs> That's amazing. This is completely off topic. My my tool of the show is a game for that's been out on many platforms called Transistor. Uh, it recently came out for the iPad, and so that's where I played it. And so this is a game where uh, you're a singer. Something has happened. You befriend a sword that talks to you and helps you uh, try to discover kind of what happened. And... Uh, it's similar to fallout and what you were describing jason which is the only thing that i've heard before is like you can either play the battles out kind of in real time or you can push this button and then enter kind of like a turn by turn uh fight sequence okay um and your sword talks to you it's like the narrator similar it's by the same company uh that made bastion uh, and oh, so cool. so there's a narrator that kind of talks to you and says what you're doing and then there's all these kind of like cool uh, like side stories, I guess, in the game where you like go up to a terminal and you know you can like vote in elections or like order pizza or like stuff that kind of has nothing to do with the game but kind of gives you the feel of what's going on in the world. Oh, um, cool! And so I, I'm not like this is the best game ever, but I, I'm enjoying it. So uh, maybe when I finish, I'll be like, wow, this is amazing. Um, so I, I feel like it's interesting. Like there's a lot of games, you know, like. The Elder Scrolls, for example, where they have they have books that you can actually read in game, which have just a ton of lore and content in them, and I've never done that. But in Deus Ex, they had these computer terminals where you could log in, and they would kind of drop hints about the game, but they'd also have lore, and those I would read, even if it was you know twenty pages or something. So it's it's like a fine line, but if you get it right, 
it's actually really cool as a as a gamer to sort of like just you know experience this lore if you're into reading yeah well i feel bad because i had i kind of panned both my book of the show and tool of the show i really did enjoy both the, am enjoying both of them um well i finished the <laughs> book and i'm playing through the game i really did enjoy i just like i need a caveat and not everything can be five stars these are both like solid four stars cool cool all right time for all our right. discussion of languages yes so uh hopefully you had everyone out there had a rich childhood of uh, messing around with something you know chemistry sets or um you know programming languages or what have you um Patrick's, you're actually at least a second generation computer scientist, possibly more. Yeah. If you include like mathematicians. No, my like grandfather uh, programmed on mainframes operating oh, systems. Oh, nice. So third generation. So, so my my dad is an engineer, but my grandfather is a mathematician. And so we have kind of geekery in our family too. Um, and so, yeah, growing up, like my cousins and I would, would do a ton of this. And it was just super entertaining. And I hope to one day... Um, you know, my kid's very young, but I hope one day he will, uh, you know, get into this too. So the reason why we're having this is if you didn't get it from the title, we're going to talk about various programming languages targeting kids mm -hmm. in an odd, yep. creepy way. <laughs> yeah, not, not that kind of targeting. Um, so yeah, one of them is logo. Um, I actually got introduced to logo through the Delta drawing program that came out on Atari, but, uh, Basically, Logo, just, uh, I mean, well, I'm going to specifically talk about the turtle graphics part because I don't actually know anything about the rest of it. Patrick can probably fill in the holes here. But there's a turtle graphics, turtle cursor part of Logo. And it was pretty cool. Basically, you had a little arrow, and you could give that arrow instructions like go forward, but don't draw a line. Go forward and, you know, leave a trail behind you um, or turn. And there, I think there are other things too. But, uh, but basically... Uh, it sort of taught you to have this like uh, like psychocentric view where it's sort of like you had to, you know, if the cursor was pointed down, you had to understand that turning right kind of meant that it was the cursor's right, not your right. And so you had to kind of sort of like displace yourself and understand frames of references and things like that. Um, so it's pretty cool. It was very useful even, I think, like to build that mental capacity. It was also extremely fun. Like I was able to draw... Um, the book came with a bunch of things for you to draw f to kind of get you started. And then from there, you could you either cobble together the things that it told you to draw to make other things. Like I drew like a half horse, half, you know, monkey or something. Um, you could, you know, do all sorts of stuff. Like there's one where I had you draw a car. And so then I was able to draw a bunch of cars on a highway. Uh, just incredibly fun and uh, highly recommended. Yeah, I, so, the one I yeah. used, I, and I don't remember exactly which one, it had, of course, the turtle and the drawing, but then it had other ones where you could do things like more like uh, ant kind of simulations where like they would leave pheromones and then other ones would, would follow the pheromones. So like you could simulate having food and like your home base and the ants would try to like go out to the food and come back to the home base and they would oh, leave yeah, pheromone trails that. and then they would kind of like... Other ones in a given square were more likely to move into a square with the pheromones than move in a random direction. And so then slowly they would kind of build up. And so then it was showing this agent-based simulation where like, similar to what Jason was describing with cellular autom automata, each agent is obeying the same set of small rules, but then together you get this emergent behavior that mm -hmm. their ants are randomly wandering around the screen, distributing hormone evenly. But then once one finds the food, it starts to head back home and leaves a more directed trail. And then another one will do it, another one, another one. And then, you know, pretty soon they're all kind of going to and from the food source back to the home. Um, yeah, yeah. I remember that. I played that same game. I don't remember the name or anything like that, but uh, and so it's called Mason or something, but it's super fun. Yeah, and um, I, I guess every version of Logo isn't exactly the same. There isn't, ex you know, one standard um, this is the logo language. So all of them have, you know, added various features. Uh, and then, you know, they kind of teach func making functions by using new words. So you can initially say like forward 90 and it'll go forward 90 pixels or whatever. But if you want to say like draw a square, I won't know what a square is, but you can tell it, you know, make a square be the following steps. 
and here's a function parameter, right? Uh, and so you can kind of start to build up your grammar of functions. And then that's how like kids begin to introduce in this very graphical way, which, uh, you know, it's always, even when I was learning uh, basic and stuff, like that was always the thing I wanted to do was like draw stuff, right? Like yeah. just draw pixels. And even it was when I f was doing C programming early on, I did like, you know, the command line stuff, but I always wanted to be able to just like draw pixels and like, make lines that moved and fill them. And it was actually uh, hard for me when I was when I was very young because like in basic, it was very easy to do that. But in C, it's like, no. Yeah. <laughs> like I never had, it's still to this day, if someone came to me and was like, hey, I want to learn C and I want to use it to just like do really basic drawing or like implement Pac-Man or something. I don't know how to tell them like to get started quickly. Yeah, I have no idea. I had the same thing where I went from making games in basic to, and we're kind of leaping ahead here because, I mean, we made games in BASIC when we were, I don't know, 10 or 12 or something. But I went from making games in BASIC to trying to build a MUD in C or just edit a MUD um, that someone else was running in C. And, yeah, it was the same thing. I was just – I mean, console was okay, but trying to do anything graphical was just almost impossible. Yeah, so I saw that to say, like, I think you'll see a common theme among these, but I think in general, like, the graphics part is really easy for kids to grasp because at some level you're – is very visceral, like what's coming out as opposed to just text, which is kind of boring. Like you're seeing something and when it goes wrong, it still looks cool. Like, oh, it went wrong, but you have the opportunity to learn something, right? Because you yeah, see right. what happened and be like, oh, I didn't realize that's what was going to happen versus just like crash, right? Yeah. I mean, so if it crashes, yeah, it crashes. True. But It's almost impossible. Well, it's not impossible. It's, it's Other than syntax errors, it's very hard to crash one of these. I mean, they're kind of designed to be sort of a very constrained dynamical system. And yeah, you'll make very unintended things happen, but but uh, but you'll almost always see some kind of consequence, not, you know, a core dump or something like that. Yeah, so the really common one that I think now is Star Logo. Um, okay. And uh, they just released a new one that has like OpenGL graphics. So instead of just the boring like 2D uh, palette on your screen and, you know, moving the turtle or cursor around you actually have like a 3d view and you know more minecrafty i guess um i'm oh, not sure okay. that that adds anything uh but but it's there <laughs> um and then i found uh, a nice tutorial turtleacademy.com and they have a web version of logo so they both teach you to write code in logo and like you can run the examples interactively um, oh, on their nice. website so that's really cool so if you have like a niece or nephew or son or daughter or cousin or somebody or yourself are listening to this um, then you can check this out and uh, it's pretty cool I think the one thing that I saw when I was looking through a bunch of these um, one common theme that I was like especially um, fond of was that it's much more collaborative like you can actually have your turtle draw something and then post it to other to, to, to this central website yeah. And other people can not only see your drawing, but also recreate it. Like they could hit go and watch a turtle, like, you know, draw your car or whatever. Um, and I think the whole collaborative part is pretty cool because when I was growing up, I mean, I made that the cars on the highway. Actually, I remember specifically I made cars on the highway and then I went to show my parents. And when I'd come back, um, one of my cousins had reset the Atari and it was gone. Oh. I was just so devastated. Yeah. I need to go back and redraw those cars and you need to play Final Fantasy VII. <laughs> <laughs> um, One of these know, things is not like, like the other. <laughs> yeah. But now, I mean, you know, everything is permanent. Um, I'm sure these, a lot of these are like Google Docs where, you know, you don't even have to save. It's just, there's well, I wonder if I, I bet there are people Twitch streaming uh, doing programming in Logo right now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And it's much more collaborative and, and ultimately like way more fun. So the next one is especially big in that Scratch. Um, and so Scratch has a really big community online. Uh, and it was a project. Out of, a lot of these are out of MIT. MIT does a lot of work um, with getting, I guess, kid-friendly, yep. GUI-based uh, programming languages. And um, in Scratch... Yeah, that came from, oh, just not, not to go too much on a tangent, but in the, in the, was it the 50s or the 60s when Sputnik was launched? I think it was the 50s. Um, the government set, sponsored this gigantic program, which is an unbelievable amount of money to get the whole nation more into STEM. And if you don't know, STEM is science, technology, engineering, and medicine. Math. And Oh, math. Sorry. <laughs> and uh, one of those, uh, w and so one of these grants was all around education and bringing 
forth like the next generation of mathematicians and things like that. And uh, so, you know, part of that, uh, a lot of that went to MIT and, and that's sort of where all of these projects came from. Yep. So Scratch is uh, different than Logo. Logo is uh, a graphic representation of your program, um, but Scratch, uh, uh, sorry, you write in text, but the results are graphical. In mm -hmm. Scratch, um, the results are graphical, but you also program graphically. So with, right. with blocks and um, building up programs. And the really cool thing, which I think is also a great way to introduce programming, is not just making games. Like everybody wants to make games, and that's good. And like there's a good Python um, a way to get started in games. I guess Pi Game is what it's called, um, and yep. it works really well. But uh, you know, and, and that's good. But making games is actually pretty hard. Like. Um, especially making games people really want to play because people have very high expectations for games. Like yep, they expect right. to be able to go to a menu and like start the game, have lives or, you know, die or like progress, right? Have danger, have risk, and then like have an end to the game, right? Like there's a lot of stuff you have to do before you kind of can really call it a game. Um, right, exactly. But what uh, the Scratch is used a lot for, and I, I think is, is great, is animation. So if you think about it, you can kind of program your code to just run through a demo. So like demo scene um, would be similar where user input isn't really necessary. It just plays out something that you've programmed, but it could still be just as complicated as a game, but you can kind of build it up in a way that's more controlled. You don't have to worry about some of the same things. And even when you just have a short snippet, people kind of get it. It's like a short, uh, like a short movie or whatever, right? Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, a game it has to hold your attention for a long time. But, but uh, an animation can be just as long as you want it to be. Right. And so, you know, allowing kids to kind of build little uh, animated scenes in a programming language style is, is a great way to introduce that concept and not have to worry about people doing unexpected things, right? Uh, mm -hmm. That's a whole other thing that is good to learn, but, you know, one thing at a time. Yeah, right, right. And so Scratch supports both. You can make games and use input. Um, you can produce sounds. Uh, the animations there's even a, it looks like a functionality to be able to use your uh, webcam as an input um, not oh, as nice. familiar with that but um, they promote it a lot for using in uh, like coding clubs which I didn't have one in school but we had one briefly that I started which I'm sure was terrible but that's fine <laughs> um, but we never had like a coding club but I know it is a thing that people have or even like a class and so having this scratch for even like elementary age students, so kids, you know, what would that be like seven, eight, nine, ten, ten, I right. guess, nine, ten, uh, like third, fourth grade, that those kind of age kids can begin to get started in this and kind of begin to grasp the concepts. Um, and so, you know, if you've never seen that before, check it out. And the, the graphical representation kind of helps you see what should come next, right? So like, when you type a for loop into, you know, C, it's not obvious what should follow the for line or that, oh, you need curly braces and the lines in between or whatever, right? Like, it's not immediately obvious just from the word for that the next thing is going to be a loop. But when you have these graphical ones, the structure of the block of a loop is actually such that you kind of see like, oh, this thing is contained and is going to run over and over again. Uh, and so it yeah, helps you right. to think about programming. I think too, like when we're talking a lot about, you know, kind of kids and people who are just starting, but even, you know, <clears throat> I'm one of these people, I tend to be like, kind of like take a bottom up approach and sometimes it causes you to not actually get what you want. Like you started off wanting to make a basketball video game and what you end up with is, you know, one one hundredth of a graphics engine, right? Because like you just got... So like bogged down and see and and uh, you know how to open a window, how to draw a triangle, and that takes you know half a year. And yeah, you know, so this way, you know, starting with something like this, it forces you. You know, it's res it's restrictive, but it also forces you to think about the high level spot, the high level part. And if if you can't get it looking just right because you know the scratch won't let you, it's fine. Um, and just you know being able to live with that. Um, is uh, is pretty useful for anybody. Yep. So the next one is uh, Lego Mindstorms. This is the kind of thing that every kid wanted, but I never knew anyone who had this. I didn't. I had either. these. 
<clears throat> but but it looks so freaking cool. Like everyone knows about the Lego Mindstorms robot that can solve the Rub Rubik's cube and how amazing that is. Um, but yeah, I never had one. Oh, I always the, liked the Segway ones, the ones that like to self balance the inverted pendulum. Oh yeah, right, right. Um, so yeah, Lego Mindstorms is a combination, as you might imagine, of Lego and then various kind of like logic. Um, is it actually? So there's a there's a main blocks. You, there's like a, mm -hmm. a big larger block that has essentially a processor in it and a little LCD, and that's where you load your code, and then you can plug in sensors or motors to that hub, and um, you know from your computer download the the code that you want to run on it, uh, and then you can build up a structure, a car, a robot, or whatever it may be. Um, a Rubik's Cube solver out of Lego blocks with these actuators and sensors in them. Um, How do you actually connect the sensor? So I guess you have to buy a very specific sensor where they have integrated right. with so, the Lego. So I think, I believe the way it works now is actually an I2C protocol. So people hack in other sensors now. Oh, um, got it. But yeah, basically there's a special block that has a sensor and a wire um, and then a special connector on the hub that you plug that block into. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, but yeah, basically it talks I squared C to that thing. And they just have like a small set of sensors they support. Well, small is relative, I guess. Um, but the cool thing about this one is that they have, of course, a graphical programming language backed by LabVIEW, um, which I maybe we might could do a whole show on LabVIEW. But LabVIEW is a graphical programming uh, thing, all of its own by National Instruments, uh, and is more targeted to like I guess what you would call even serious programming, um, mm -hmm. but they have a version. It backs this NXTG, which is used to program Lego Mindstorms. And the cool thing there is like you're programming graphically, and just uh, like you would see your GUI in Scratch or Logo, here you actually see something in real world move, and inputs in the real world affect it. And so I think that's yet another like great stimulation source for keeping yeah, people definitely. engaged. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. So, I wonder, can you actually make, I guess there's nothing stopping you, right, from making like a little car or something like that? No, no. I mean, I mean does it have a battery? Yeah, yeah, so it has a battery and it'll move around. You can make line-following robots. Yeah. Um, cool, cool. And so then there's a, a lot of alternative languages that sprung up, and it's actually surprising how many there are. Like I went on Wikipedia to look at how many there were, and there's like, I want to say at least a dozen. Um, so like you can code it in C, you can code it in like uh, any, like Visual Basic, the uh, there's this robo mind which uh, has a simulation part to it as well so you can actually like simulate your robot moving around in a simulated world um, and uh, so you can write in like even like real programming languages when you're ready you, you can step to it from kind of these uh, I won't call them toy oh, languages. Oh cool so it's like a bridge yeah so, so you start off just doing yeah. visual but then you don't have the experience we had where you There's go not this huge divide. basic to C and it's just like your whole universe falls apart. Yeah. So I was reading um, in Zed Shaw, a guy in Python who wrote Python the hard way, um, okay. was talking about this. He was saying like he wrote Python the hard way for beginner programmers and people don't understand what beginner programmers mean. They think it means like people who already do a lot of maybe like shell scripting or something uh, want to learn programming or people who've done a lot of like excel and, and you maybe did a little bit of dabbling with macros and he's like no 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 people who like you can't tell them type the pipe character they don't know what the pipe character is you know they don't know like how you would even like get into manipulating files like opening an editor typing a file in saving it to somewhere known in the directory structure opening a command line getting to that folder right like that whole process would be yeah, foreign right. to these people like those are the people that you know we're really gonna have to help um, we can't just expect the only people who are worthy to learn programming are people who already know their way around a computer uh, to a high degree. Um, yeah, I never really thought about it. Yeah, like I guess I have a pretty high bar for where I would expect people to start before they learn programming. Yeah, I, I have the same thing. I mean, I guess the, the issue is, you know, we grew up in the DOS era where if you wanted to use a computer, you had to learn that. And so it by, you know, the because of that, it became a prerequisite. It's like you couldn't program if you couldn't use a computer. And you couldn't use a computer if you couldn't do DOS and DIR and pipe and all those things. But most people didn't want to use a computer when that's all it could do. Yeah, right, right. So that's why we have sort of the skewed view. It's interesting. So, uh, yeah. Cool. So I think these things um, we're talking about are great introductions. And you have some others. <laughs> 
Yeah, so I used this one a ton. It's called Authorware. Apparently, it was um, it was bought by Macromedia, which was bought by Adobe, and so it was called Adobe Authorware uh, much later. But I used it when on, uh, I was in high school, <coughs> or maybe even middle school. It came with my Packard Bell, <laughs> so um, it was pretty cool. Um, basically, it was this flowchart-based uh, model where um, think about kind of like Flash, but um, the user experience is a little bit different. Um, so you know, you would, as as you do in Flash, you have um, objects on the screen. You would animate them by dragging them around, things like that. You could listen to user events, but instead of having sort of that timeline in Flash, which has all these objects that exist, you know, in time um, and exist in different states across time, things like that. In this case, it was all flow based. So um, you know, there'd be some root node that would get executed, and then there'd be a node that says, you know, draw a car. And then that node would have a child node that says, wait four seconds. And then it would have a child node saying, you know, move the car, so on and so forth. And then because you could have a many-to-one relationship, you could say, okay, once the car has moved, then do these 10 other things. So you can imagine how it's kind of like a tree structure. Um, but yeah, I built a bunch of animations in it and stuff like that. It was super fun. Uh, apparently, it's discontinued. So, of course. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it, it got discontinued in like 2003 or something. So uh, you can't use that, but um, you can use Adobe Flash, which is you know a very similar idea uh, and arguably better um, in almost every way. And uh, Adobe Flash uh, is a great way to get into programming because you start off just animating um, by you know literally just taking things you drew in Microsoft Paint or or, or GIMP or what have you, Photoshop, uh, dragging them into Flash. Um, and then just uh, moving around in time and then adjusting the scene how you want it at various points in time. And I have this animation. Um, then you start, you can learn about action script and, and uh, you know, gracefully go from you know, a pure visual environment to writing code. So Adobe Flash is pretty awesome. Definitely check it out if you haven't already. I've never used Flash before. I, I don't know really? why. Yeah. Wow, really? Um, I mean, I've yeah, used it, so, I, so I've used Flash before. That was poorly stated. I've never like written or authored any Flash anything. Yeah, you've never used Flash Studio. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's uh, yeah. I don't. Uh, oh, you know, I think because I have a minor in digital media, so for me, I had to take a bunch of classes where we were forced to use Flash. Um, so, but yeah, if you take any like intro to digital media or anything, uh, well, maybe now it's different, but at the time they would teach you. They would definitely teach you Flash. I wonder sort of what is replacing... HTML5. You know, I mean, HTML5 obviously is replacing the technology, but what's replacing Flash Studio? Oh. In other words, like if I wanted to, to you know, you know, take someone who doesn't know anything about programming and get them into what I just... Like re recreate what I just described, what would I use? No idea. Put it out to Maybe. the audience. I think I think actually Adobe has uh, Adobe Flash has an HTML5 exporter or something, but I don't know. Yeah, we'll ask the audience if you are an Adobe Flash wizard. Um, let us know sort of what the next step is. I'm really curious. I mean, I th I believe Adobe can export to HTML5 now, but I'm not 100. percent I don't even know really kind of what that means because I'm sure they're not just completely compatible. But uh, yeah, let us know. I'm curious. All right. So, are we got one yeah, more? So, uh, oh, just real quick, we have a Wikipedia um, link on our. Uh, we'll put on the website, which has list of educational programming languages. If you have a son or daughter, or if you uh, want to, uh, you know, look at a, a one of these uh, kind of beginner languages, I think it's really fun to to do that and and uh, create some cool stuff. Uh, check out our link. It has a ton of languages, way more than we could cover. Yep. And if you're too if you're too leet for all of these, then uh, try one of our other podcasts. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so the feed burner. Last time we talked, we were, I think it was, like two hundred people away from ten thousand. We are now a hundred and forty people away from ten thousand. We only gained sixty so. people in a month. I know, That's right? Sad. I know. Well, but, well, welcome uh, to 60 more of you who this is your second yeah. episode. Yeah, welcome you 60 people 
um, to the to the show and everything. Super awesome. Uh, either way, man, we're super grateful for having having such a appreciative audience. One thing that I kind of struggle with, and I'd be interested to your feedback is, you know, we have Twitter. People reply on Twitter and retweet and ask us questions on Twitter. People ask us questions on Facebook, and uh, there's communications going on Google Plus. And I really feel like we should kind of bring this together. Um, it's kind of silly that there's just like three separate discussions happening at the same time. So I don't really know what to do about that. If if anyone there has any suggestions, um, post your suggestion all three times. <laughs> I'm a social hermit, so you can mail me a letter and uh, <laughs> a I, may, I may respond to you. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, I mean, I'm really curious, sort of, you know, anyone out there, even if you have a small company that you run or something like that, like, well, how do you solve this problem where, you know, we have a lot of followers, but when you split it three ways, um, it just, uh, it doesn't build enough of a core base. Yeah. It sort of dilutes everything like, like exponentially. Like, I think if we could get everyone on one platform, it would be, it would be really special. There would be dozens of us. (laughs) That's right. Oh man. So, uh, uh, yeah. So anyways, we really appreciate your uh, support and, uh, thanks a lot for watching the show, listening to the show till next time. We, yep. See you later. The intro music is AXO by Binar Pilot. Programming Throwdown is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 2.0 license. You're free to share, copy, distribute, transmit the work, to remix, adapt the work, but you must provide uh, attribution uh, to uh, Patrick and I and uh, share alike in kind.